Uh, we were specifically an app for teenagers to go uh, and buy and sell stock. Uh, when Bloomberg had announced in the news, like, oh, I'm committing a billion dollars to my presidential campaign, I was like, all right, like, you know, I did pretty well with Yang. You know, if I can scale up what I did with uh, Yang to Bloomberg, um, you know, you could probably find some good success with that. Um, as you know, fintech is one of the highest paying customer acquisition costs, highest paying CPMs. So I was like, all right, if I can, you know, figure out the finesse in politics and direct to consumer, how do I try to figure out a finesse in fintech? Yeah, on a daily basis, uh, I don't know if I can specify the exact number, but it's, it's in like the tens of thousands, right? We're, we're growing between three to 5,000 users on a daily basis. Um, we're one of like the fastest growing, you know, especially on the younger end, Gen Z fintech startups. Like All right, we have an exciting Raz report today. We have Alan Maman on from on from Bloom. Bloom is a fintech startup that's taken the world by storm. Alan has a very interesting background. He's worked in fintech. He's worked in doing growth marketing for the likes of Michael Bloomberg, etc. We're going to get right into it. Before we get into what you're doing now, Alan, let's go back to where you were, say, 10 years ago. Give us a little bit of your early days and how you got into this marketing and able to build products that people love. Yeah, great question, and thank you for having me, Jason. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been 13 years old, so probably an eighth grader. Uh, so I didn't get really get my you know full official entrepreneurial start until I was more of a senior in high school. Um, and one of those first ventures was basically being responsible for making fidget spinners go viral. So I had started making fidget spinners in my high school laboratory uh, with my physics teacher and essentially started selling them in school and every single kid wanted them. Um, and eventually when everybody bought them in school, I was like, wait a second, if this can you know sell really well in the small school, what if I take this online? Uh, what if I start scaling this with e-commerce ads and whatnot? So that was like my first official start in terms of like, you know, doing like an official venture. Um, but, you know, since then, it's just been a bunch of uh, very random things, uh, as you mentioned. Yeah. And so what whatever happened with the fidget spinners? You just like let it wind down. You made a ton of sales for it. Like what, what ended end up happening? Yeah. So the high level is, you know, the first six months were great. We were like the main sellers. Uh, everybody was buying through us. Uh, and then eventually China came into play where, uh, you know, injection molding came and get, you know, came in and started to really drive the price down um, and eventually it started to wind down. Got got it. So that was uh, like high school. After high school, what'd you do? Yeah, great question. So after high school, uh, my parents basically gave me this ultimatum. They were like, Alan, uh, either you go to college or we're going to kick you out of the house. Uh, so I was like, all right, you know what? I have some money from this venture. I'm just going to move down to the city. So I grew up in Westchester, so it's not too far from the city. Where, where uh, in Westchester? Armonk. So I went to Byron Hills right. High School. Yeah. Yep. So moved down to the city uh, by myself. Just got one of those like small you know, single bedrooms and a three bedroom on Facebook Marketplace. Um, and I basically like honed down my skills and I was like, all right, if you, I want you, to make did sure. Your, did your parents give you money for that or you had money? No, no. Well, yeah, so I had some money from the past, you know, fidget adventure that I hadn't already spent um, on dumb things, right? And I, you know, I had a small bit of money that I like, you know, kind of had the conviction of myself. I was like, all right, I'm going to go figure this out by myself. Um, and that was like the high level. And then essentially I like started to realize, all right, you know, I'm decently okay at business, but I need to hone down my skills, right? At like growth and business and kind of get better. So I started working at a bunch of other, you know, random startups where I can kind of learn a bunch um, on, you know, other companies' money to some extent. So I wouldn't be risking a lot of my personal capital. And then uh, eventually just started doing a bunch of random gigs, right? So like worked at a direct consumer startup um, called Nugs, where uh, joined them at a, at a seed company and they just did a $50 million Series B. Um, I worked for Andrew Yang and Michael Bloomberg for like running their meme campaigns, which, which I can talk about a little bit more. But um, yeah, basically just a bunch of really random kind of skills that I would try to teach myself. So when you work for Andrew Yang and Michael Bloomberg, who was first? You worked for Bloomberg first or Michael uh, Andrew Yang? 
so I worked for Andrew Yang first, uh, and then I did that for a few months, and then eventually just like left it. And then uh, when Bloomberg had announced in the news, like, oh, I'm committing a billion dollars to my presidential campaign, I was like, all right, like, you know, I did pretty well with Yang. You know, if I can scale up what I did with uh, Yang to Bloomberg, um, you know, you could probably find some good success with that. How did you get to, uh, um, like, how did you get to Yang? Yeah, great question. So with Yang, I just reached out to their campaign via like cold email. Um, they were only a team of about four or five at the time, so it wasn't like that complicated. Uh, the reason how I found him was I just saw him on a friend's Instagram story. Like he was like speaking in some small, you know, classroom for his campaign, very early days. Uh, and I was like, wow, if I was a young Asian American, you know, 20 years ago or, you know, 15 years ago, and I saw another guy that looked like me running for president, I'd be pretty inspired. So I want to see what I can do to kind of, you know, offer up my skills uh, to a certain extent. So what did you were there only for like a few months? But what did you do to help impact the outcome there? Because I, I did I do think you had an impact there. Yeah. So we basically ran all of his like guerrilla marketing when it came to when, his meme when campaigns. When you say when you say we, you or well, yeah. So like you? myself, uh, one of my earlier partners, uh, and then like a small team of like basically interns. Uh, but basically, uh, the high level is we ran all of his like Facebook media ad spend uh, and all of his meme campaigns uh, from from that level. So it was just like uh, Andrew is kind of known for being this like presidential meme, right? Not a ton of success in terms of like votes and that, that, that stuff, but from an awareness meme point of view, uh, he's definitely well known on that, on that factor. So I think, you know, at a very high level, we uh, essentially did most of that advertising the first few months before kind of like more higher level kind of people stepped in and the campaign became, you know, super, super serious where, you know, they're raking in uh, tens of millions of dollars in donations. Got it. Got it. And so did you know what you were doing there? Or you just learned like on the job going to Reddit forms? Like how did you really get going doing that? Yeah, it's a great question. So honestly speaking, from the fidget spinner days, we would run a lot of memes on ad pages or, or run a lot of ads on meme pages. Uh, so I essentially just took the same connections I had from the fidget spinner days and applied them to Andrew, where he would do something funny, we would turn it into a meme. Um, like for example, this was the time when like the AirPods meme was a big thing, where it's like, oh, you know, if like you're really rich, you own a pair of AirPods. Uh, and you know, Andrew was really big on this UBI thing, right, where it's giving everybody a set monthly income. Uh, so you know, we kind of you know put those two things together, made them into a meme, and then we published them on meme pages. Uh, to kind of you know pick up on that initial virality. So when you publish this that that kind of meme on meme pages, were you just publishing them as a free meme, or were you advertising them? Like how how did that work? Yeah, so it's honestly a mix of how we would do it, right? Um, the thing with you know campaigns is that you have to be very specific in terms of what you're disclosing when it's an ad and whatnot. So we'd have to find ways around it. So for example, um, I don't know if you remember seeing Jason like the SpongeBob text meme where like each every other letter is like capitalized and uncapitalized, so it like looks like really goofy. Uh, yes. But for example, yeah, we would make the hashtag sponsored by Michael Bloomberg in like a meme, you know, SpongeBob meme type format, so it would actually look less serious. So like you know you do have to get you know very specific in terms of disclosures, but there are some workarounds that you. Could do to make it seem a little less cringy to some extent got it okay and that was and, and that and those things worked those yeah. things got attention because no one else was really doing it that way with like sponsored by okay so then you were at andrew yang then you went to bloomberg how long were you working for bloomberg yeah, so with Bloomberg, uh, you know, the very high level is I joined and basically, you know, he dropped out pretty early uh, relative to the amount of money that he spent. Uh, so I think I was there for like, officially speaking, two months, but I stayed on retainer for uh, roughly a year and a half, uh, specifically working for Hawkfish, which is like his digital agency uh, for like the Democrats specifically. Um, but, you know, with Bloomberg, I would say it was basically everything we did with Yang, but at a 10x scale, right, where they're like, you know, whatever you did with him, we have essentially a ton more resources, we have a ton more like things that we can kind of do and test out. Um, and like one of the memes, for example, that I made ended up going on like Tucker Carlson tonight, um, where he was like reacting to it and, and reviewing, you know, one of the, you know, live debate memes. Got it. So that was, 
So that was probably a great learning uh, period for you. Yeah, exactly. Like learned a ton, learned how to like communicate too with like the teams, right? You would be on these comms meetings in these war rooms for debate night. It was a, a ton of fun. Yeah, and then did you, so how long were you at Bloomberg for? Yeah, so like officially speaking, like a year and a half. And then, then from there, is that when you went to Robinhood for some work or? Essentially, work? yeah. So, I mean, yeah, full transparency, you know, like I said, they kept me on retainer uh, and I didn't really have to do anything for, you know, past that two months. So I would just work at a bunch of other random gigs to try to like teach myself skills. So I had like built my own app. I had worked at a social media app um, in the meanwhile. But yeah, essentially after those, you know, two or three main things uh, is when I started to be like, all right, you know, I've already gotten relatively okay at politics. I've gotten relatively okay at growing, you know, companies from a direct to consumer from a social app level. I want to start getting into fintech, right? Because in marketing, um, as you know, fintech is one of the highest paying customer acquisition costs, highest paying CPMs. So I was like, all right, if I can, you know, figure out the finesse in politics and direct to consumer, how do I try to figure out a finesse in fintech? Um, and you know, as you know, fintech is extremely expensive. So I didn't necessarily want to use my own capital for that like teaching lesson. So I figured, um, hey, let me go try to work for a bigger fintech company um, to kind of learn, you know, the ropes, uh, and then eventually start and you know do do my own. So, th so, so that was your thesis about fintech, you know, the higher CPM, the higher revenue, and that's how you came to Robinhood? Like that's like, you're like, okay, this is my thesis. I want to go to like the hottest company in Silicon Valley right now? Yep, exactly. So uh, how did that happen then? Yeah, so basically just started messaging uh, a bunch of like my friends at Bloomberg who were like pretty high up. So Bloomberg had hired all these like huge tech veterans. Uh, and I guess because I did an okay job there, um, you know, they wanted to stay in touch and whatnot. And when I was talking to one of them about how, you know, I wanted to look into FinTech and I was thinking about doing my own ideas, he was like, wait a second, um, you know, I'm close with somebody who's a CMO at Robinhood. You should chat with her before you go and do anything. Like before you go join any other company, like trust me, talk to her. Uh, so when I spoke to her and spoke to the rest of the team, it seemed like they were pretty aligned at, you know, having me join. And honestly, yeah, it was a pretty straight forward like interview process um, and joining but um, you know in terms of my experience there you know truthfully speaking it was just a bunch of really random things to be honest like my role was um, strategy and special operations so I just like you know worked on like SEVs so when there would be a huge crisis communication um, I would kind of join you know figure out what the social response would be to things like that um, or like making memes for our CEO so like Vlad is very well known uh, on like Twitter especially after the whole GameStop stuff so we would like uh, essentially or I guess I would make him memes to post uh, when we do new product launches things like that yeah I need someone to make me some memes um, but uh, wait so SEVs what, what does SEVs stand for? A great question. So, SEV, uh, I think it's like a severe engineering, you know, it basically it's when something breaks in the app or there's like a huge crisis communication. Then there's like SEV, like a SEV 3, SEV 2, SEV 1. Um, and if it's like a 1, it's the most critical. So that's when like everybody needs to be on a call. And truthfully speaking, that was probably one of the more fun things I think I've worked on, uh, where like you're in this kind of similar to Bloomberg, where you're in this war room, right? And they're like, okay, there's these issues happening, these issues happening, how are we going to respond to it? What's the, you know, the best process? Um, and I think I just was highly attracted to those. Like it just seemed like a lot of fun to be in. And I think uh, soon enough the comms team was like, oh wait, you know, Alan comes to us when there's a SEV versus a lot of people try to go away when there's a SEV. Um, so I think that that was where some of my value was provided. So you're, you liked, hand, um, you know, during crisis, crisis management, you were one that was calm and you wanted to help find the solution versus like run away from the problem. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I think for now, though, with my own company, I think I prefer no crisis columns. Uh, but, you know, when you're part of something bigger, it's a lot of fun. I mean, yeah, I mean, Bloomberg, I mean, Robinhood, huge company. And, you know, how long was your tenure there? Yeah, so I was there for, I want to say, eight months. Um, and basically, at, at around like the 
you know, five to six month mark, um, one of my co-founders had reached out to me and he was like, hey, I'm working on this idea for Bloom. Um, I want to see what you think. Uh, and basically, eventually, like two months after that, I decided, okay, let me just leave Robinhood um, and go and just, you know, join this company and co-founded it with these guys um, versus like staying at Robinhood because, you know, I wasn't really learning a ton after those six months, right? It's kind of like the same thing. Uh, so that I kind of figured, all right, it's time for me to kind of just go out and, and try my own thing. Got it. Now, so did your co-founder or did they start it before you you left Robinhood or did you guys wait and you know yeah so together? we waited to launch it but the high level is yeah they had come up with it prior to me joining a few months prior and then um, they were looking for, to kind of grow out the team and, and you know actually start hiring people um, and they were looking for a third co-founder to come and really focus on growth uh, so that's where I basically came in and then we launched it um, roughly speaking about four months after I joined got it so Okay, so that so it's two. You have two other co-founders. Yes. Okay. So now, so now we're gonna get into it. We're gonna get. So you left Robinhood to start this new venture, and that's when you reached out to me. I think this was, was this early two thousand twenty-two. Yeah, yeah. I think this is late. This is late twenty-one, early yep. twenty-two. Yeah. Okay. So then you may start at late twenty-one, but you reached out to me January twenty-two. I see an email here, and you were on to something. So. Um, the company's bloom. Give us like the pitch then, and and then has have things changed? Well, we're doing this because we're doing like a fintech week, and we're doing highlights from interviews like this um, during that week. But uh, let's uh, get the what the genesis of the idea was then. Is it the same? Has anything changed? You know. Yeah, great question. So the origin of it, when I emailed you, uh, we were specifically an app for teenagers to go uh, and buy and sell stocks, right? That was a huge value prop because at the time, if you were a teen and you wanted to kind of start investing, you had to use TD or Fidelity, these more of an older brokerages that these teens genuinely found scary, right? After we spoke to them, because these uh, companies don't really make it, you know, fun uh, when it comes to like, explaining what investing is and what buying a stock is. They kind of make it overly complicated. Uh, so that was our original value prop, but kind of as we spoke to more and more users and we kind of grew and we launched on the app store, we started to realize that there was just a bigger hole from a financial literacy point in general, right? If you go and you sign up to Webull or any of these other big brokerages, um, you know, sure they have great incentives, you get a free stock when you sign up, uh, but they don't really teach you the basics and fundamentals of investing and what the, you know, truly owning a stock is, what dividends are, what the payouts are like. It's kind of just like, oh, hey, now you can go trade and you know it's arguable if they do this on purpose because they're incentivized to some extent right because they make money from higher order flow and whatnot um, but from our point of view we just kind of realized all right look there's a lot of young people getting into investing um, how do we make sure we're that really good teacher that somebody had when they were younger uh, and really taught them the basics of what they were doing that way they don't end up in you know options debt uh, or taking out credit card loans that they don't fully understand or you know taking out you know insanely high you know risky loans or just things in general so I think our big importance now that we've kind of aligned on is we want to be this financial literacy app for these younger people, not necessarily even teens, uh, but also give them the ability to start investing. So it's an actionable type app. Got it. So why do you think teens are like not as active, like interested in investing as people who are a little bit older or aren't paying attention? I, I mean, I teens are into shoes, into trading cards. I mean, uh, investing sometimes is like, I guess during the whole run up uh, in um, COVID, I feel like a lot of teens got into it, but then I sometimes feel like they get in, then they get out. Like, what? Do, how do you change that? Yeah, so it's honestly a mix. Uh, you know, I think because of the entire COVID thing and the game something, uh, retail trading, as you know, like got massive, right? And because of that, there's always some spillover to teens. Uh, you know, while 
generally speaking, uh, the teens on our app are pretty retentive to a certain extent, and we see a lot of success with them. Uh, I think the high levels, there's a lot of friction for a teen to go and sign up, uh, especially prior to Bloom. Kind of like I said, they have to go, they have to use a Fidelity, you know, TD Ameritrade, a little bit of an older type of brokerage account where they don't fully understand what they're doing. Um, on our app, we can see a very high retention when it comes to teens taking these education modules, going and investing in stocks, and then actually understanding like, oh, hey, I own 20 bucks of Tesla. What does that actually mean? Like, what percentage do I own? What, you know, slice of a share do I own from having 20 bucks? And I think, you know, historically speaking, if you just like gave a teen a stock and you didn't explain what it was, um, you know, it's not very surprising that they're not super interested in it because they're just like, all right, this is just, you know, financial jargon. Uh, whereas when you explain the, the concepts, uh, then they're more willing to kind of understand and learn. So why did your app make it so much easier for teens? I mean, do they still have to do the same thing that they would with uh, um, an older brokerage to open up an account? And like, how does that all work? Yeah, so they still have to go through the entire, you know, custodial type flow that their parent needs to do on the KYCN, on approving things. Um, you know, we have parental controls, so certain parents can approve or deny certain trades or like, you know, things that are high risk or ETFs only. Uh, but the high level is, I think it comes down to a few things. It comes down to interface, right? So I believe our interface is just way cleaner than a lot of these other platforms. And, you know, we've spoken to these teams about this uh, and they've verified it to some extent. And, you know, the second part is we try to incentivize them to a certain level, right? So for example, when you take education modules on our app, you get these things called OINCs. Uh, and OINCs are our like Wait, currency. you call them points or what'd you call them? Uh, oinks, O-I-N-K-S. Oinks. Like, yeah. O-I, okay, oinks, okay. So like if you take a module and you get everything correct, you get 100 oinks, right? And you can then use those oinks in like our arcade in our app called Oink Hub uh, that you can then go and play stock games with them. You can do like virtual investing. Um, you can do things where you can redeem free stocks with those oinks. So we try to do these things to really incentivize these teens where it's like, oh, hey, um, this isn't just a boring textbook that you're going to read because no teen wants to go and read a textbook, right? Uh, but if you start to gamify it and make it really retentive from that experience, experience, um, then teens really start to love it and start to really get addicted to it. So the people that join the app, you're, are you seeing heavy engagement? Yeah, like we're seeing like really, really high engagement and retentive experience, especially, you know, once their foot's in the door and they, you know, get that KYC approved, um, you know, their, their retention numbers are, are, you know, really high. Is, I mean, I'm guessing this, teens, so the average account size is on the smaller side? Yeah, definitely on the smaller side. So we honestly see a mix of like, you know, we'll have some accounts where the parents will deposit 20 bucks a week uh, for their allowance, right? And then we'll have some accounts that it'll be, you know, relatively high net worth individuals um, that have their teens with like, you know, 10 or 20 grand. We even have some cases where, you know, we'll get emails of like, oh, hey, why can't I sign up? Or why can't my teen sign up? Because the person is like a CEO of a public company. And because of like, you know, the specific KYC rules and things like that, we just can't let them on. Um, so, you know, it's honestly a, a mix of who comes on. But kind of like I said, we have started to expand more outside of the teen sphere and more into just the 13 to 25 year olds and we're seeing a lot of success um, with just all of those you know age cohorts okay and the key to your app blooms app is the educational components and gamifying it to answer questions and things like that and then is there like competitions as well or how does that work yeah, it's a great question. So we have some very like basic competitions where it's like a stock tournament, right? So you choose on a list of stocks. Um, we run it back from 10 years ago and then whoever wins like gets the most amount of oink. So we have things like that to make it more social and fun. Uh, but yeah, I think the high level is it's a mix of both, right, Jason? Because if it's just the game, it's not as fun because you're taking these modules, you're playing these games, but it's less actionable because you then have to go to another brokerage to go and invest. But I think because we have these two parts to it is what really complements each other um, and makes the app like, you know, in whole really well. Yeah, and so can you give us like a picture of like how many like numbers that have joined and how it's doing growth and where you guys are at? 
Yeah, great question. So, you know, since you referenced the original email when I sent it to you, uh, you know, late 2021, early 2022, that's when we launched in uh, early 2022. Uh, since then, I believe we have over 800,000 users on our app. Um, you know, it's like a very highly retentive experience. Like I said, like we have a lot of order flow. Um, we have a lot of kids taking modules. I think each week we have like probably between 60 to 80,000 education lessons being taken. Um, it's honestly like a huge mix. Like we have other things in our app where, uh, I don't know if you remember playing like the cookie clicker game, but that was a big thing a few years ago where kids would just tap their iPhone screen and they'd get you know cookies from tapping it. Uh, but we launched one of those like three days ago uh, and it was over like 2 million clicks on it. And kids are then using those oranges to play in the tournaments um, so and, wait, and, and so in the wait, games. A, a cookie shows up on your, like an actual physical cookie like oh, no, a, no, no, it's a, it's it's a, a virtual, virtual cookie. No, yeah. I know, I know, I know, no, but it's a virtual cookie, but it's like not like a cookie that you put in a web code. It's like, it looks like a cookie and it, it's like you tap it to get more cookies. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. But in this case, instead of cookies, it's oinks. And then kids will then, yeah. you know, click on this thing for fun and then they'll go spend those oinks uh, on one of our games, uh, right? And, and use that to kind of learn. Uh, so it's like honestly a mix, but, you know, we, we're working on really shipping out these really retentive experiences that, that kids really enjoy doing. And it's like, you know, if a kid's tired of taking modules, they can go just click on their screen. And, you know, so far it's been working really well. Got it. And so these cookies allow them to consume, you said, more games? Is that what you said? Yeah. So so in this case, right, the cookies are oinks, uh, and then they can then spend those oinks on those tournaments that we were talking about um, or any of the other games that we have in our app. So how many active people, how many people will play in a tournament? Yeah. So it honestly depends on a week-by-week -week basis, but, it, you know, it, it's in the thousands of number. Uh, it, it honestly varies on, like, you know, each week we'll have a higher prize or things like that, or, you know, there'll be different stocks and whatnot. Okay. Um, all right, so that, so that's it's getting that high engagement. And so you, had, you said about 800,000 people have joined. So how many people like log in daily? Yeah, on a daily basis, uh, I don't know if I can specify the exact number, but it's, it's in like the tens of thousands, right? We're, we're growing between three to 5,000 users on a daily basis. Um, we're one of like the fastest growing, you know, especially on the younger end, Gen Z fintech startups. I believe like, um, I think this morning I checked, we were like top 30 or top 40 in the charts. I think I sent you a few of the screenshots. Got it. And, and you guys, I mean, are you buying a lot of, like ads to get people to hear about it or is it mostly word of mouth? How, how is the growth uh, for Bloom happening? Yeah, it's a great question. So it's honestly a bit of mix, right? So it's not really one or the other. It's kind of like um, we'll do a lot of paid ads or we'll do a lot of like, you know, sponsorships. And then with that, people will sign up. They'll see that it's fun. They'll invite their friends. And it's kind of just like a whole trickle down um, type of approach when it comes to growth. So it's a lot of social sharing and stuff here and there. It's not like exactly. I mean, I know you have your memes experience and all that kind of stuff. So now the question, people listening to this th story of a fast-growing company in the fintech space, you know, there's, I mean, arguably in this space where during COVID everyone was trading and there's been a slowdown since then, your company is not seeing a slowdown. So then the next question is, what about raising more money or raising money? Where are you at there? What do you, you know, how is that yeah. going? For sure, it's a great question. So I think you know, at a very high level, my you know main focus as a CEO is making sure that our company does not necessarily need to depend on raising money, right? It, I think it's very important to have the option to uh, where you're you know you know if you want to you can, but I feel like being forced to raise money is not a position that you want to be in, right? Because you have the least amount of leverage. Um, so because of that, we've been pretty revenue focused, right? In the past few months. So for context, uh, you know, we have like seven figures in annual recurring revenue uh, as a company. Um, you know, we're not super far away from being a profitable uh, or default alive as, as it's described in you know, Silicon Valley. So I think it honestly depends on the market and what we think we could do if we do raise money and we can kind of scale it up. But I think, you know, most importantly, I think the best answer to your question is like, um, I need to make sure that we do not need to rely on raising money uh, if that, you know, were to even be a question uh, for for us. So the way you guys make money, is it through subscriptions, trading revenue? How do you make money? 
Exactly, yeah. So we charge no fees on trading or anything like that, but we charge a subscription fee. So uh, either parents pay a monthly fee or a yearly fee, um, or someone that's 18 or you know 20 years old just pays a monthly fee. And the fee honestly varies based on a week-by-week test. Right? Sometimes we'll do a lot of annual billing up front, sometimes we'll do monthly billing. Uh, but there are still a lot of free options that people can use on the app without paying. Okay. And do you guys, you don't have to say if you don't want to, do you guys use like Apex for the back-end stuff? Yeah, we use uh, Apaka Securities. Apaka, okay, so that's a competitor yeah. um, to Apex. So that's, um, they're, they're a client of ours. We're fans of them. I, I remember the day they started, reached out to me way back when. I, yeah, good, good group. They've been to our, our FinTech Deal Day events, which we're having, I guess, in November. Maybe you'll be able to make it to it. Alpaca should be there. It's in New York. Um, I forget the venue, but I know it's in November. Um, our FinTech Deal Day. We do FinTech Awards and do FinTech Deal Day. So that, I mean, so you're growing. How many people is the team now? Uh, we're only a team of eight right now, so we keep it very lean. Kind of like I said, we want to focus on making sure that we're not burning too much money and what uh, uh, to some extent. No, yeah, sometimes more people, more problems, and when you're smaller, you can get more done, and people know if they don't do it, then it won't happen, you know? Exactly. So we've gone through where we were a team of three, four, eight, 170 then 130 you know so the you know big a bigger number doesn't necessarily mean a better outcome i i guess is what i would say um so we've seen a lot of like day in the life TikToks of like big uh, company ceos what's the day in the life for you alan yeah, great question. So, you know, obviously it varies depending on the week and how much stuff we have to deal with at work. Uh, but, you know, high level is, you know, I'm up six, seven-ish, uh, go for a run, take the dog out on a walk. I have a, you know, a two-year-old Cavapoo sitting next to me uh, on the floor. Wait, 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 you have a two, wait, wait how old? Yeah, two-year-old? Uh, two-year-old, Togo. Yeah, can you hold Can you hold up? Yeah, let me grab him. He's, uh, I just took him to the dog park, so he's... Yeah, what's his name? Togo, T-O-G-O, there we go. Okay, okay. Yeah, so he's a very and... fuzzy boy, uh, but he's probably wait, my... Yeah. He's not that small. Yeah, he's a uh, twenty pounds, about twenty twenty okay. pounds. Yeah, we have so, uh, we have a sheep who's like eight pounds. Oh, nice. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot, you know, easier maintenance to some extent because this guy I have to like tire him out every day. Yeah, I hear you, and you have yeah. to go outside. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, yeah, so yeah, it's um, they're they're fun dogs though. Is that one a cuddler? Yeah, definitely. He's a cuddler, big separation anxiety type of thing. But I think uh, you know. As someone who has a lot uh, of you know work to do on a daily basis, I think it's a really good like disconnect, right? Where I take him on a walk, he plays with other dogs. It's a very straightforward um, type thing where you know you kind of have to end in this routine. Otherwise, you know he's just gonna like you know pee and poop in the house. Okay, so wait, you were doing a day in the life. So you take the dog yeah. for the walk, and then what else do you get going? Take else? dog for the walk, and then after that, it's basically straight to the office. Um, you know, working till like probably seven or eight. You know, I'll take him to the park in between it. We specifically chose an office near Flatiron because he goes to Madison Square Park and runs around there a lot. So, you know, in between meetings, I'll take him in and out. Um, and then usually, you know, sometimes it'll be like a dinner or, you know, some sort of like, you know, founder tech thing in New York City that I'll stop by. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, it's just it's really just wake up, exercise, dog walks, and then, you know, work uh, for the rest of it. Got it. And do you guys do it, have like a WeWork or what do you do? Yeah, exactly. So we have like one of those shared WeWorks. We have um, four of our team members are in the city, so it's pretty nice. And, you know, everybody just kind of comes in. We all have like lunch together, we eat together. Um, it's a great vibe. For your hiring, is it just friend to friends, like people you guys know in the space? Is that how you guys have done it? Uh, it's honestly a mix. It's been like applications on like, you know, job sites, things like that. But, you know, when it comes to like marketing or like interns or things like that, yeah, those are typically friends of friends. Okay. And then um, one more. Um, so, what do you think the future 
investing will look like, you know, like how will it be different than today? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I think a very high level to that, I would hope, you know, education is a big part of it, right? So kind of as you've seen investing change in the past 10 years where it was a fee per trade um, or like account minimums, things like that, and those have all kind of waived. Uh, you know, it's heading in a stranger direction where you don't really know where it's going to. You know, you have other companies that are doing alternative investing, like Masterworks and Art and pieces like that. I think we'll probably see more of that, but um, I kind of do hope as, you know, this entire space grows and whatnot, that education is a big component of it. Because um, while it's great that there's all these great products and all these you know, great credit cards and good points that you can utilize if you really know what you're doing, um, you know, for the majority of people that don't understand those things, it, it really becomes a very predatory type uh, market, right? And you wanna make sure that you know, as long as education is going with it and people can understand what they're getting into, I think that's what's the most important. Got it, yep. And um, as you know, AI has been the buzzword for the last six months, it feels like. Are you guys doing stuff with AI or, you know, what, where do you see AI impact? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I think, you know, very high levels. We don't want to be one of those companies that's just like hopping on the AI wave for the sake of doing it. So um, my co-founder and I, we sat down and we looked at a few of the features, right, with like all these LLM models and all these like chat models. And we realized that, okay, if we can kind of integrate this into our education module where a teen or an 18 plus user um, is like talking to this and having it explain financial terms in much simpler terms, then it's worth doing. So that's actually something that we have shipped out um, in our app. So for example, in our app, um, what we're working on right now is as you take these modules, if you need to be explained to you in simpler terms or in more you know, diverse terms, or if you need an example, we actually have a built-in like a ChatGPT skin um, on it that just explains it to them. So uh, we are definitely exploring things like that, but like I said, I wanna make sure that it's not um, just a hype thing and more of a practical thing for our users. Got it, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, some of the stuff it does. Us is, you know, we're, we write, I don't know, 150 stories a day and then 1,200 headlines, you know, making sure that writers aren't using AI, not, you know, and phoning it in and figuring all that out. It's, it's very interesting what's going on in this day and age. And, um, and then, you know, AI does produce a lot of incorrect info as well. So if you just want to, you know, phone it in and say you're in school, give me a history of the Civil War, you'll get a lot of incorrect stuff. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, so um, anything that I haven't asked you, Alan, that you would like to uh, say to uh, this FinTech audience? Yeah, so I mean, nothing else at all. You know, like I said, I appreciate you having me on. I guess, you know, one thing that I would maybe ask of you, Jason, is, you know, as someone um, who has been in finance for such a long time, you know, do you have any advice uh, for someone like myself or somebody else that's listening that's also, uh, you know, in a similar age uh, to some extent of like, you know, being a 23 year old or 24 year old? Well, first, it's, a, I mean, I know compliments when people are in the, you know, in the day to day with your uh, sleeves rolled up, compliments aren't easy to take, but it's uh, absolutely amazing what you've built. And, you know, on a day I met you and you sent me an email and talked to you after that several times, I knew what you would touch would turn into gold. If it wasn't this one, it'll be something else after. It seems like you're pulling all this, you know, moving all the, like a, or like a, a music conductor, pulling all the strings right. And you just have to keep doing it, making sure these people love your product. And maybe, it's not just stock trading. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's um, there's a company. I think the symbol is INST. Uh, they're the ones that in schools they like do your. It's like chalk, uh, blackboard or chalk. Like the schools, you have to log into their software and they power some stuff. Maybe your thing is more of a financial tool that schools can use to teach basic understanding of it, and it becomes more of a platform versus just hey, I'm going to do the trading. Um, depending on what you build. I have to play with it again, but there's 
with that kind of engagement, it's tremendous. And, you know, someone's going to want to gobble you up. Uh, but just keep doing what you're doing, absolutely. And if you're raising money, you know where to find me. And, uh, you know, I appreciate, Alan, you coming on the RAS Report to talk fintech. Uh, we'll have the date somewhere on the screen. Hopefully it's going to be in New York. Hopefully you'll be able to make it to the event and tell your story. And there'll be all the partners, customers, vendors. We try to bring everyone in the space. It's actually kind of how I built Benzinga going to conferences way back in the early days. So, Sweet. Know. Yeah, really appreciate that. And, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I would love to see you there. Yep. So, all right. We got Alan Maman on the show. He, you know, worked for Yang, Andrew Yang, Bloomberg, Robinhood, and now has his own startup, Bloom, that is kicking ass and taking numbers. Serious numbers. Check it, the growth in the App Store. If you haven't downloaded it, check it out. And uh, look forward to getting an update from you. And just, you know, I can just say I knew you. Thank you. All Sounds right. Good. Thank you, Jason.